Welcome to Very Honored Fraternity's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, Episode 19, in which I interview Season, also known as the Little Red Writer. But first, I think probably a lot of the uh, the, the fratters among us can relate to, um, especially if you're a millennial or toward the end of Gen X, having grown up kind of being formed by the hippie generation and the baby boomers just to make sure that we don't turn out like, you know, those 1963 and earlier men. Um, so there was a lot of, like, negative reinforcement of don't look at her that way, don't talk that way, that, you know, so there's a lot of negative reinforcing of um, this new ideal of a male that we're all supposed to um, represent. I heard a TED Talk recently in which uh, they were talking about how, in this particular case, this child had uh, missed 18 out of 20 questions. The teacher, in a friendly green or blue ink, wrote plus two with a happy face. And that she was able to establish a rapport that way um, to help this child improve. And she felt that if she had put a big red minus 18 sad face, like a lot of teachers do... Um, it's uh, it's nice and a refreshing change to receive positive feedback from someone who felt that we men in my community, the esoteric nerds, generally are not male chauvinist pigs. And so I wanted to share this positive uh, encouragement with the rest of you because I know I, I was it, it put a smile on my face to hear. Um, this is Benabel Wen, the author of Holistic Tarot. We spoke to her in episode fourteen. If you haven't heard it, I recommend. Uh, dialing back to that episode and listening to it. Hello, Tarot Tribe. Thank you, first of all. Yeah, that's actually all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was a um, opinion editorial writer, and I wrote on um, social political issues. I wrote about feminism, gender issues, politics, all those things, the whole gamut of rather substantive, meaty topics, but in an opinion editorial style. Couldn't believe that every other thread would devolve to people talking about how I looked, either whether or not I was bangable, whether or not I was good looking, whether or not they liked how I looked, how attractive I was, or maybe I wasn't getting any. To some of the publications on feminist issues where my photograph was not included with the article, the commentary section would include lots of remarks like, oh, I bet you she looks like a fat cow who's home alone and can't get any, and that's why she's so bitter. It'd be an article on immigration, and at the bottom you'd have comments about whether or not I was attractive. After a year of writing for the tarot community and having my tarot writing be out there, not once, really, really, not once have I come across any remarks addressing how I looked. Even the most negative and vitriolic comments were all about the, the writing, about my work, whether or not they liked my writing, whether or not they agreed or resonated with my approach or how I, or my opinions on um, various aspects of tarot craft. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much for being classy. Thank you so much for being dignified. And thank you so much for being smarter and more intellectual than the rest of the mainstream. I mean, it sounds like it is an elitist thing to say, actually, but it's true. That's a striking difference. And for that, thank you so much. You're welcome. In the divine name, my hey, oh, I invoke thee.
Our guest tonight, if I were to presume to put a label upon her, something of a Jodorowsky-esque shamanic warrior poet pixie magician. I met her at the Hive Gallery and Studios on Spring Street in downtown Los Angeles. Let's get to that interview, shall we? Greetings, Sora. Welcome to the Esoterra Nerd Podcast. Hi, you're still calling me Sora. I still count as a Sora. I love it. Of course, of course. <laughs> I called Benabel Wen Sora. She's the author of Holistic Tarot. And, uh, but she, she was like, can I call you Fratter? And I was like, well, if I can call you Sora. <laughs> but I, I made a proclamation in 2001 that anyone who was a sincere solo practitioner, I considered a Fratter or Sora. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. I qualify. Thank you. Oh, yeah. No, there's... <laughs> There's no change as far as, uh, you know, yeah, one's political affiliation or allegiance or, or who they're paying dues to or not. I'm not paying dues anymore, so I don't expect anyone else to. I mean, I, I think it's fine when people pay dues. I don't think it's okay. I, I wanted to say, like, for the record to anyone who's listening, that if your cult is telling you not to come on the show, uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Let's just move on from there, you know? <laughs> Now, there was a time, and I believe it was maybe June or July of 2011, it was after the March 2011 schism, uh, where CSS was formed, and ISIS was the, the last temple that stayed with EOGD. And at the time, you didn't, you weren't involved with any of that. We only knew each other through, through the hive. And through um, through poetry and stuff like that, and uh, and I was including season in um, my art walk videos, and uh, then I would write poetry, and you were conducting Trophallaxis. Was is it, do I have that right? That's a variety show, the performance art variety show. Yeah, and so I was one of the people that did poetry up there. And sometimes we would rehearse how we were going to do like a little turn, you know, and, and make it <laughs> interesting. And and you, uh, you so wrote, you like wrote me a message, and I was like, "That's a poem." You you asked me, you're like, "What should I write about?" And I was like, "If you have to ask, nothing." And so you wrote about nothing, and it was a great poem. And I'm like, "Oh my god, you have a great piece!" <laughs> oh yeah, like, I remember that. You said write a. But it was kind that. of yeah, it was kind of a collaboration. I'm like, we have to present this together. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I remember. Yeah. So we did like. <laughs> We rehearsed it upstairs. That was fun. We did this thing where what was I? I was pretending to be nothing, right? I was like hooked into your back on the other oh. side of you, or it was something like oh, that. Yeah. I, was like, I don't even know where that poem went. Oh, I don't know if it, if anybody filmed it or anything. <laughs> it's a poem called "Nothing" that's been lost that we performed together <laughs> that I had forgotten about, and you just reminded me about. Aww. That's great. Yeah. But um, so I had a dream in the now in the dream and in reality, I was uh, very upset at. And uh, and so I was I in the dream it was Power Week and so there were all these people there it was a big house and I was I was really really pissed and I was gonna go give him a piece of my mind you know and I was gonna go like confront him about some new shit that had come up because um, it had been a couple months since I had yelled at him publicly and uh, and and as I was walking toward him you appeared and you didn't belong there at the time you know I mean it was you were out of place. And um, and it did, you didn't strike me as being out of place, and you handed me what was very clearly a book wrapped in brown paper, and uh, you said, "Before you do, read this." And so it was like, okay, 
you how did you know that I was on my way to go do something? You know, I mean, I guess it was clear that I was like focused and I was walking, but you just you just stopped me in in the middle of you know, and you were like, first read this. And I was like, okay, well, shit. I I was kind of stunned, you know, and then I woke up, and um and so I wrote to you and I and I told you about the dream. You're like, season. You gave me this book in a dream. What was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you asked the question. I was like, well. I don't recall being there in the dream, but this is the book I'm reading right now, and it's great. <laughs> Maybe it's had something to do with it. Yeah. And so I bought that book, and I started reading it. And sure enough, it got my mind going on a totally different track that it was good, it was good for my evolution. It took me off of where I was at, um, which was being fixated on that whole situation and in my role as the loudmouth uh, you know, person who was going to tell him where to shove it or wh- wherever I was focused, you know, I was being the, being the good high-risk trying to throw out the chief adepts because he was corrupt so that the golden, so that the temple would be sacred, you know, it's, as I one or two people I'm sure have been there um, and anyway uh, so yeah no, that was a, that was a very a very, uh, a pivotal turning point for me and, and so it, it was it was at that point that you like were definitely like a character on the scene in my life as like this sort of um, jester, you know, this, but, but like in the physical and astral, you know, kind of popping in and out between, and in my art, you were already in my art, and then you were in my dreams, and then you were giving me books to like guide me on my path. And so, yeah, so then that was, that, that, that's how we met, basically. That's how we started talking. Yeah, and then, and then we got this like, like, you know, um, broad, you know, spectrum group together, uh, a combination of like artists and esotericists and magicians, like, trying to do the right to Ulysses. Yeah, it was a good group. Yeah, it just didn't work out because, uh, like... Because uh, you it, kept fighting with snow. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> the, the, way that you, the way that you advertised it was, you know, that we're going to do a brand new... Because you didn't realize that, to me, Crowley is 100 years ago, not brand new. And so, like, relatively, yes, it's brand new because Eleusius was thousands of years ago. Um, but still, to me, 1911 was, you know, not brand new. And so I thought, oh, we're, we're all going to come together as a bunch of, like, these new visionary minds, and we're all going to reinvent the Eleusinian, uh, the, the rites of Eleusius. But it turned out that, no, we were going to all have be, be directed in the OTO rites of Eleusis by snow. And um, <laughs> that's the end. <laughs> and so that was what I was objecting to. And the fact that he was just, like, jumping into the alpha seat when I it wasn't made clear clear that we were all coming together, you know, under an alpha that had already been established and it was all going to happen at his house and stuff. And so I was just really objecting to the whole situation. I felt like I had been tricked. Uh, I didn't understand any of that was going on because that stuff was all new to me. And I was like, like, well, I mean, it was clear that he had pitched the idea to you and you were like, great, I know a bunch of people who would be into this. And then, so it was just an interesting thing that we all came together. I mean, I wouldn't have met the Aquarians. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that that was a very um, fortuitous coming together of us all. Yeah. Like, the rights of Ulysses didn't happen in the way that it was originally envisioned, but other things did. So it worked. It definitely worked for better, you know, and magical ends. (laughs) Well, and I I recently asked Snow if he wanted to come on the Esoterra Nerd and talk about the um, Crowley's Rights of Eleusius, and he said he'd much rather talk about the research that he's been doing between, you know, something in in Chinese medicine and in, like, a Native American system. And I was like, oh, well, that's great, you know. So, I mean, it seems like he's doing something, you know, also new and innovative. So that's, you know, I mean, we're all doing something new. We're all 
you know, innovating and all, you know, everyone that was in that group. Yeah. yeah. Alea is doing um, a lot of theater work. She's created an interesting character that is like this, you know, crazy, like performing Blavatsky character. Oh, rad. Yeah. I wish I was there to see it. But Jodorowsky, back to Jodorowsky, because, I mean, before the Rites of Eleusis, there was that sort of period in between when you told me to read the book, and when I started reading the book, and then we started talking about Jodorowsky, and then I was, like, watching the, you know, movies again, like, after having read the book, and, um... So I don't know. Uh, uh, what was your takeaway from reading Psycho Magic? You know, I took a lot away from that book. I was really inspired by his process. I didn't know how much went into everything that he did and how how intentional he was, and you know how 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 much he he really did in, involve magical thinking and magical process into his film and, and all of the other projects he does. And I'm, I, I was never like a big Alejandro Jodorowsky follower or fan. He was talking about growing up in Chile as a poet and talking about that, what a poet means in Chile, you know, giving the example of walking from one end of his city to the other end of his city. And if that included walking through someone's backyard or climbing over their fence or walking through their house, he'd just explain that he's a poet and he's walking in a straight line from one end of the city to the other. And they understood because they know about poets. <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, that was like how he got started. And then from there to go to Paris and his street performance and everything. But really he considered himself a poet. But then he studied with that uh, that woman in uh, in Mexico City. Do you remember that part? Yeah, she she was like this other sort of healer. He's an artist and a poet and a magician, which is like a unique combination of factors that like really resonate with you know my approach to things. And so I was really taken with how he was able to combine all of those things and do so much with it. And I didn't know like at the time I hadn't been exposed to anybody else that was doing stuff in you know an innovative way, such as he was, that kind of reflected my approach to my own work that somebody had even, who had even taken it further. Cause I, I kind of thought, you know, I was being very like cutting edge in, in what I was doing, whether people knew it or not, that there's like a lot of intention behind like my performance art and my poetry. And I was, you know, combining different magical elements and, you know, like always kind of doing my own psycho magic without having a name for it, thinking I was just like the, you know, this, the most original thing ever and like having a good time doing it. So it was really cool to find like another like mind out there who had, you know, refined this process and given it a name yeah. uh, and had like done so many profound works with it. And so, yeah, the woman that he was working with, she was like this other, I forget the name, but you know, she, she would do like, was it like psychic surgery and stuff like that? And yeah, well, stuff that he couldn't even, he would assist her and he'd be standing right next to her and he would swear that she would reach her hand into someone's, you know, body and pull out. You know, like it, it, there some organ, and then do something with it, and then put it back in, and it tell all as far as he could tell, it wasn't sleight of hand, and he yeah. couldn't explain it. And the people would leave feeling, you know, improved, like their problem would go away. But she was like channeling this other entity called Little Brother. Oh. So, yeah, I don't know if you remember that part. It's like an entity she channeled, and he said that actually, like you know, he had existed. Like there have been a number of people that lived and and were his channel. Right. Um, you know, and, and died, lived and died as, you know, his channel and, and like, you know, he had, he'd had a number of vehicles, but that every, every time it gets a little better, that it started out as much messier and more painful, 
every time he does it again in, an, in another person that, you know, the process gets improved and refined. So that was another adjunct because, you know, he said it was a little messy. It's like, why all of the mess? Like, why the screams and the noises and, you know, because um, I yeah. guess, you know, the, it, it was working, but the, there was like a little more, I don't know, drama or, you know, like shadowy theater that was going on that he didn't understand like if it's magic why not just snap your fingers why can't it be a cleaner cut you know process part of me you know i hear that i hear that story and go that just sounds weird it sounds like it's phony or i you know i mean I, i i hesitate maybe at a certain point when i was young i shut off to the idea of being taken over by beings um in order to protect myself from it but then it's like, you know, you have to wonder that, well, is it, is, you know, that what, there's that old saying that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. So, <laughs> so is it that I'm already possessed and the, the possession wants me to think that possession is impossible? And then when you start reading about Burroughs and being possessed by the word demon and he's like, go ahead, stop thinking. And, you know, it's like, no, because the the word demon has possessed you. It's this parasitic life form that's sucking your energy out, you know. It's like, oh, oh, and he's, like, having you cut cut out your words. And so my Gordon, my old teacher, he was a big fan of Burroughs. And Burroughs was an ex-Scientologist, so there's that connection. But um, but he would write out a bunch of poetry and then uh, cut, at, cut out all the individual words and mix them up and shake them up so that they would no longer have any power over your central nervous system yeah. <laughs> interesting stuff but um i mean yeah. uh, that wasn't the point i was making the that, i mean it was, it was just thinking that like in mexico city it just seems like when you cross over the when you cross over that border you're crossing more than just a border you know like you go into a, a different mental space where yeah. where there's angels and demons and, you and know, those are real for those people like they're so you know, hooked into that belief system that, you know, that's their reality. And so it works differently. Like, like magic, you know, has a, a, a different potency in that land. Enoch which is the Aquarian was talking about the magical field that's created by a group of people who all are practicing the same form of magic. And, you know, oh, yeah. He's an interesting cat. He's up there in Oregon, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was in episode uh, three. <laughs> okay, I'll look into that. Oh, you know what's really neat, too, is that I'm in episode 19, and I've been studying one tarot card a month uh, through of all of the major arcana in the, um, the Toth deck, um, and I'm on card number 19 right now, which is the sun. Mm, yeah, nice. and... and yeah, so, I, you know, to me, this is just more affirmation of that being a part of my life, because I realized, like, since I've been studying the tarot... It's like, oh, you want to learn the tarot? So every card that month has become my reality. Like, I have been going through the trials of every fucking card. So you just had the Emperor a couple uh, cards ago. Uh, the Emperor was quite a while ago. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. so Zadi, they switch Zadi and Hay, but they don't switch the order of the cards? Um... I'm I'm very yeah. ignorant about Thalema. I all I know is 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 in the Book of the Law. His wife said that that Zadi is not the star, so Hey is the is the letter they use for the star, which is the one yeah. gripe I actually legitimately have with Thalema. Everything else I really am just ignorant, but but I think that Zadi is the star. God yeah, damn it! Which the star? Yeah, um, yeah. And the emperor. The the but not not the card itself but yeah just it's yeah but then snow said that it was a veil and that it's not zadi is not the star it's zadi is newt 
the star, and that Newt, the goddess, the Nuit, is uh, is is tied in with, somehow with the star card. And I was like, oh, being very clever, I see. It's, <laughs> it's tra- or or just to say that it's not the star; it corresponds with the star. But then actually changing the correspondence on the deck leads one to think that he actually meant Zadi is not the star. It's sort of like do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Oh, you mean I could just do whatever I want to? Yeah. You mean even, like, kill that guy? No, 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 your higher will. And then it's like, oh, so it's Christianity again. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But see, that's the thing. There are, like, you know, very fine lines in all of these beliefs, and it doesn't become the next thing just because it's similar to it. It's like, you know, there there can be an overarching truth they're both tapping into and expressing differently. And I know I'm being very callous, and I don't mean to, like, upset anyone who really, really takes all this seriously. I just (laughs) personally don't, and I'm sorry (laughs) if that offends. Part of my religion is not to take it seriously. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. (laughs) <laughs> but I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I'd say you have a really a, a, a very fun religion. I mean, you know, like I'm I'm an ascriber of that religion, but maybe just not in the same way. Right. Well, of course. I mean, I think that's that's part of moving forward. It's that whole sort of anarchist ideal of if everybody was civilized, we wouldn't need civilization. So if everybody could provide themselves with their own personal religion, then they wouldn't need these external religions. And then we could just be civilized people and come together in groups and share what we have to offer each other. But in the meantime, we'll have these externally, you know, uh, enforced hierarchical religions just for the sake of communication and efficiency. And, you know, it's just old habits, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like people don't have anything else to really, um, you know, like feel like they, like they can like latch onto or, or ground themselves with like a lot of. I would say these traditions, you know, preserve, or even the religions, they preserve certain traditions. And otherwise, a lot of those things would have, you know, been forgotten. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, now, I mean, we've only had the internet for like 20 years or something, and already we're taking it for granted and talking about, oh, wasn't it silly that they were writing things down, you know? Yeah, it's, it's it's really neat to see that type of evolution within your own lifespan, like to even be able to look at how I operated 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have an iPhone. I think I just got a cell phone. Like, or in the this 80s, period of time. even, like, when it was, like... Yeah, yeah, there was, like, a period of time where I was just really anti-technology. Um, and, you know, I, I stayed out of it as much as possible. But then, you know, once I started kind of dipping my feet in, in those waters or in the circuitry, I don't know. <laughs> now, now I feel like I can't... I don't really know how I got around without it, but I'm glad I did for long enough to train me different, you know, navigational skills. So right. I'm not dependent on it, although it, it enhances my capabilities now, but I don't find that like like I know I can I can exist without it, although I don't see why. Yeah, last uh, night we were out in Joshua Tree under the stars and I was able to use my phone, you know, because we'd say, I wonder what that is. Oh, well, its name is such and such. Apparently it was named by a Malaysian scientist. And then, you know, I went, oh, what's that over there? And then uh, and I noticed that there was a galaxy cluster, and you could see it, and I could point out exactly where it was. And I said, you see that triangle? And Janie said, yeah. And I said, you see those two stars down and to the right from the triangle? And she said, yeah. And I said, you see that little, like, glitter in between? She said, yeah. And I said, every little one of those little glitters is a galaxy. <laughs> and we were looking right at it. It was so cool, and we wouldn't have known if I hadn't had my phone there. Ah, you know. oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a way that it can be. We can be cyborgs and still be spiritual. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't. I don't think those things are you know mutually exclusive at all. 
I find that it's enhanced my spirituality. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just made it, um, you know, a lot easier to... Find out the phase of the moon. Yeah, all of those little details that I can fill in. It's at the, the tip of my fingers. And, you know, and, and it, it goes with me. So, you know, all of the time that I would have to do or spend in, like, preparation for certain things that, you know, now, now it's much simpler without having to you know, go through as many steps to, you know, create the perfect experience is kind of like, well, you can kind of consolidate a lot of that into your cell phone. Right. You've had exposure to Jodorowsky, to Golden Dawn, uh, traditional, um, the, if you don't mind my saying the same temple I'm from, um, I, I recruited you, um, over the course of many years, uh, with li- <laughs> little, little magical breadcrumbs left in, in videos, um, and then by the time it finally worked, I was like, oh, no, you don't, yeah, uh, fuck this place. You, you don't want to be initiated here. And you were like, well, I'll just get initiated real quick. And I was like, okay, but then we should probably both get out of here. <laughs> so, that, so yeah, it was interesting how the timing all worked out. But, uh, but then, so, so you've, you've had some exposure to that as well as to, um, to OTO, uh, I understand. And yeah. um, uh, what other paths have you explored? A, a variety of different types of witchcraft, from fairy tradition, reclaiming tradition. I've done a lot of stuff with reclaiming. I'm kind of a, an ally. I, I don't want to initiate because they require you reinitiate for the next two lifetimes and come back and be one of them again. And I was like, that's just too much commitment for me. Reclaiming? I'm not familiar with that. Oh, they're awesome. It's Starhawk. Okay. If you're familiar with Starhawk. It but... sounds familiar. I think we're Facebook friends. Yeah. Well, you're probably Facebook friends with a lot of uh, <laughs> the people in reclaiming and don't know it. Right. Probably. <laughs> um, they, they, they're really, they, they're really socially active and they, they, you know, um, they keep it going. I'm impressed with, um, you know, they're, they're sort of, I think one of the largest like international covens, like, um, and that, that they're able to, you know, just stay with the momentum and make, you know, something so like inviting and welcoming and, you know, still keep their, their practice like in a way that, you know, it reaches out and, and they're, they're trying to make a difference with it, you know, in, in society, which I like. And then British tradcraft. And then I, I've dabbled quite a bit in different types of Southern conjure and root work and working, you know, with the Fae quite a bit. I also am a Reiki master, and practitioner so I've been doing that for quite a while and yeah different types of like chaos magic Toltec the Toltec I don't know if you call it really a philosophy application art I guess would veer more into the shamanic practice now if I recall correctly is there a Thalamic Toltec named Coyote that you quote often yeah I've been working with him and kind of studying with him for a number of years now, which I actually came into contact with him shortly after I had been reading Jodorowsky. So Coyote and Jodorowsky both came into my field about the same time. And Jodorowsky was the first person saying a bunch of stuff that I really resonated with in ways that like I'd never heard anyone say before. And I was so taken with even his writing, that there were pieces in his writing that I was like, oh my God, that's a poem. And it's just like buried in this book. And no one would ever see or find it and know it as a poem in this context. Like, I don't even know if it stands out to anyone else as a poem, but it's yeah. like a beautiful piece. I'm glad yeah. you do that. I do that with, um, when I was reading Dogen's Shobogenzo, he brought Chen from China to J- Japan and called it Zen. 
and mm-hmm. in the 1200s and uh he well he he would talk a lot and someone you know there'd be scribes writing it down and so but as i was reading it like filtered you know if, if there yeah there'd be a poem through throughout but then he'd go off on some tangent about and those idiots down the street at that other buddhist temple they're a bunch <laughs> of waste of skin and they don't know what this is about and they need to get with it and realize that buddha's message so it's like okay x you just put a big x through these seven paragraphs and then you know but then then you'd be left with this beautiful beautiful poem so then i would like recite the poem that i love up, it up on youtube and stuff like that but, yeah, but yeah, so I appreciate that that you do that. So. Yeah, these little pieces can, you know, just disappear. I mean, and you'll feel it. It'll it'll kind of it'll just be this passing thing that gets overlooked by the next paragraph or whatever it is. And so I was, like, so taken with the way he was writing. And at the time, like, in my own writing, I was kind of feeling like this expiration of my own voice. And I was, But I didn't know what it was going to become. I was like, well, I'm not quite, you know, I don't have whatever you know, my voice is, is going to be that I, I can feel on the horizon somewhere. It's not yet. And I, I feel like I don't want to keep writing in, in the way that I'm writing because I'm just going to keep rehashing, you know, the thing I'm already doing, which, you know, I, it was just like clothes that didn't fit anymore. So in looking at his book, I was like, I just want to turn like a number of these things in, into to poems. And I, and I wanted you know, to, to edit it and make them, like, I feel like, you, you know, package them very nicely and, and you frame them and, you know, give them, give them their own show and their own stage yeah. and, you know, do them, do them justice and honor in that way. And, and I was, I was going to mail them to him and just sort of, I didn't like with no expectation, just, you know, to reformat his stuff and show him how it looks in a different light, you know, or yeah. maybe he hasn't, he hasn't even seen his own stuff that way. But then Coyote comes like very quickly in after I was reading that book. And, and Coyote is actually also a fan of Jodorowsky, or I wouldn't say a fan. I don't want to like say what he is or isn't, but he he um, speaks to Jodorowsky at times mm-hmm. and, and about him, and he you know references psycho magic. Um, so you know he I think he's into it to a certain degree, or at least enough. Um, I, he has some respect for Jodorowsky's work, um, and Jodorowsky as a magician. So Coyote comes along, and then all of a sudden Coyote is like saying and talking about things that I've experiences, speaking to experiences that I've had that I've never been able to relate with anyone else in any tradition, path, or practice that I have in, encountered or researched. That like nobody, and I would ask specific questions that would relate to like very transformative experiences that I had that like no one understood. Mm-hmm. It's like, like they couldn't even understand my question. And I'm like, I had this really major like experience that I really can't even make sense of, you know, to really maximize the benefit of it. <laughs> and, and no one can tell me what it was and no one can, can say, you know, that they've had it too. Like, like I felt like I was speaking some language that like, you know, just wasn't translating anywhere I went. And then all of a sudden Coyote starts saying things and, and, and about very specific things that I was like, I get that. Like I totally that that I didn't know that could happen to anyone else. I thought I was this weird alien, and that I was the only person that these things would occur to. So um, the the poems. So he is also a poet and a performance artist. And I was like, wow, another magician that's a poet and performance artist. And he gives these long lectures and talks, and he has a bit of an accent, and he's he's got a different stage presence. Like he doesn't, uh, you know, he's he's not as expressive. Um, he he's funny, he's hilarious, mm-hmm. but he doesn't like get up and put on a show. And so, and he'll talk for like hours on end about this really deep stuff. And like similarly, I would hear certain things that would come through, and I'm like, oh my god, there's a poem there. But he's saying it in this kind of you, you know very, 
uh, he's, he's, he's got a very calm demeanor and he's very relaxed. And, but so I, I'm like, I don't think anyone else even knows there's a poem right there. I don't think he even knows because he, like, he, he channels something else when he's giving his lectures and his tellings. And so he, he says he doesn't even remember a lot of the stuff that he says. Hmm. And, and but, so I'd hear these parts that would come through and they have like a different charge. And, and I could feel it. Like, this is how my poetry appears to me as well. Like, all of a sudden, there's this, like, bulge, you know, in my consciousness somewhere. And it, it's, like, swelling. And it's kind of, like, it's, it, like, excites me. You know, I can feel it, like, like stirring things up in my body. And it's, like, it calls to me. And, and then so I'm, like, I have to pay attention to that. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like, words will start showing up to kind of, like, give it more of a form in my mind. Yeah. But the thing, it, like, I feel like there's something, it, it's, like, alive. It's, like, this thing swimming up to me from the super conscious, like appear almost as an apparition. And then I have to try to understand who and what it is and get to know it, but it's alive beyond me. And so I would feel similar things in the way Coyote was talking. I could feel almost like, like there'd be something else coming through at certain points of his talk. And I'm like, oh, that's a poem. And, and so, you know, I'd have to, you know, like I'd start taking notes and I can feel like a different energy to it. Yeah. And then I reformat it and edit it and I give it like the title is really my original piece. Like that's, that's just what I like. That's kind of my signature, mm. the way, the way I title it. And so that's where I get to the words that I choose of his, like sometimes I try to keep it as true to its form as it came through because I trust that like, you know, he, the, the words he's choosing are the ones he needs to be there, whether I agree with them or not. or whether I would use them ideally in my style of writing. But sometimes I have to make one small change here or there, but I pretty much don't want to denature it. But it's like the way I kind of arrange it on the page. And then, yeah, how how I bring it together and, and, you know, the different parts that I choose to incorporate. And sometimes it'll be an entire lecture. It'll span over three hours and I pick out different sentences from different places of it that, you know, come together to, to really tell or to, to make this point. And sometimes it'll, it'll be pretty much like all in one nice neat package within, you know, like five or 10 minutes. Yeah. It, it's different. Um, there've been a, a couple times where it's been multiple lessons that I've put together. That is not as frequent though. But yeah, so what he, the, the type of stuff that he was talking about, I was like, okay, this is, this is the, this is more along the lines of the voice that I want to access in my own writing yet. It's not, it's not my voice yet. And so I'm going to do like his stuff, you know, like if he's saying it better than I can say it and I'm not there yet, why not just do like what he, you know, take, take his words and, and do the thing that I want to do. And then also it really helps me to learn more, you know, the more like, um, you know, I'm, I'm working with that stuff, the more it kind of imprints upon my own consciousness and, and I'm, I'm able to remember it more effectively and reference these things. And a lot of times going over, because I've been doing his stuff, I think, for a little over two years now, like I forget that, you know, like I'll look back at other pieces that I've done and it's like, it's crazy how much, you know, you can forget these lessons. And so it's like sort of like a little, it's, it's like having... I don't know, like a, like a flashcard of that lesson. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll, it'll come back in a, in a nice, neat piece and kind of like be able to transmit that, that, that knowledge. Um, Would you mind reciting one of these for us? So that, cause it's sure. kind of been built up at this point. Yeah. Let me pull some up. Cool. Thank um, you. This is on like, he does this thing called the uh, Cineforum where they'll watch a movie and then he'll give a lecture on the movie. Mm-hmm. And which has been a really fun process because it's made me more aware of the way you watch a movie and and what you can see when you're really looking, how you watch it changes it. Because there are a lot of movies that I thought sucked that I watched with the group and realized how deep and profound they actually were. But I never would have got that watching it on my own. Hmm. 
I, I didn't realize, like, sometimes I, I don't even know if the filmmakers knew that what they were saying that we're getting out of it. I'm like, did they do that on purpose? How did they know? How did they know that? And I didn't. Like, you know, and, and actually, like, making movies is a very... I don't know. It's, it's magic in and of itself. And, and like, I used to hate movies, like growing up in LA, I, I like was very resistant to that industry. And so I have a new appreciation for film now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's so much in there embedded in, in these films that like, I, I, I really, I'm still in, in awe over like how these things can exist with, with either people not knowing it and, and you're, you're, when, when you're able to recognize it, um, and call it out, you know, how, just how profound that truth is. And I'm also in awe over like, because I have this question of whether they did it on purpose or not, whether they knew what they were saying. And, you know, if they knew what they were saying, how people can be so genius, like, how, how do they know this stuff? And how do they know to put that together that way? And if they didn't know that they just channeled genius, but then I guess that genius is happening all the time when you're just really t- tapped into this, you know, this point of inspiration. One particular poem that I'm going to read right now, mm-hmm. he was doing a series on uh, different uh, westerns. And westerns were never something I'd give any time to or attention to and have a new respect for westerns and the cowboy the cowboy is an archetype and a uniquely american archetype which is awesome um that we have one of those these are poetically curated notes from uh, a lecture on the movie the good the bad and the ugly by coyote the blind and i titled it the alchemical anti-hero exists as himself for himself. Without attachment to conventional morality, he is not here to save the people of the city or progress society. A true resident of the frontier, he is the uncompromising uniqueness of the vastness. Beyond good and evil, unlike ordinary humans, he has no judgment. Present for those brief moments of transition, only the dying can see him. He is the man with no name, That part of us with no identity other than itself. That which is not seen in the world, always in the distance, hidden somewhere behind. He is the unmanifest, the rugged angel, the nawal, the mystery. He makes no apologies. He has a different agenda. He liberates the conflicted from their battles between yes and no. He is a sharpshooter. He is a cord cutter. He goes into the earth to get the gold. He has no reason. He just knows. One has to be in the grave. One has to hang. And one has to walk away. Hmm. This thing that comes in from the frontier, and he, he's not of the people, he's not of the city. He's, he's not there to make any changes in society. He's kind of living, he's in this place in between, but he's you know, very much a part of the edge. Like that frontiersman, the true frontiersman is like got his feet in two worlds and he's like swirling around in between them and creating something different. Yeah, Uh, interesting. Yeah, and he just does what he has to do. It's like, and there's no, you know, it's not about what's right or wrong. It's like what needs to be done right now. And that can often be what a lot of people would disagree with from, you know, a a moral standpoint uh, based on, you know, how how they would choose to live their lives. Right. 
But yeah, that this guy, you know, he goes into the earth to get the the gold. He's a sharp shooter and a cord cutter. It's just like you know, he with with guns, you know, you have to you you aim for the bullseye, and and the bullseye. I have one. I have a poem on the bullseye as well about you know hitting the mark. You know, and he doesn't carry any extra baggage, <laughs> and you know, going going into the earth to get the gold, and that's like an alchemical statement. Yeah, but it's also kind of an American raping of the land. I mean, in that sense, it's like maybe the what comes to mind for me from that idea is the one that's on the frontier making those decisions is the you know the multi-billionaire that has his finger on the fucking the 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 ones that that have the power the ones that are literally on the frontier today that are you know someone's coming up to them and saying so what do you think what should we do with the river and they say ah you know dump the toxic waste in it whatever and making the decisions that don't seem you know right to most people because they're a cowboy and they're on the edge no well a a true cowboy though doesn't have an empire okay okay so it's an individual yeah okay he's on his own i mean you can only really be that thing you know, if if you're doing it in a, in a more solitary nature. If you're a rich kid who's dressing as a cowboy, then you're a hipster. <laughs> yeah, I would say that falls more. Um, and so the most extreme the- example of that is the military-industrial complex. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know. It turns into all these other things, and I guess. You know, it's like, chaos magic. <laughs> <laughs> but but see, but that's not that's not the pure you know essence or nature of the cowboy. Right. Well, he takes Sense. care of cows. He's a, he's well, a bit that, of a nomad, that's a like the ancient <laughs> nomad. You know that herds the sheep or cattle or whatever. There's a certain, but the cowboy, in the sense of you know, like a, a Guns, Guns and Roses song or 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 movie, the cowboy movie, I guess, would be a different thing than a cowboy. I guess there, there are different types of cowboys as well. So I'm not necessarily speaking about a rancher. Um, <laughs> speaking about that that lone wolf, that lone star, like Billy the Kid or something. Yeah, somebody that's like traversing this earth in a way, you know, that you know he's living his own law. Like he he's an authority unto himself. He's an autonomous being. And, and, uh, and I guess I've watched too much kung fu because. <laughs> Did you ever watch the David Carradine series Kung Fu? No. It's it's um he's he's half white and half Chinese and he grows up in a Shaolin temple and becomes, you know, a Zen master and a karate master and then he comes to the old west and he has to deal with a bunch of really ignorant asshole white cowboys. <laughs> and that, so that's what I think of when I think of a cowboy. It's hard for me to like cross back over into into being romantic about cowboys, but you know, that, that person that has to, you know, kind of create his, you know, like he's the center of his own universe. He's, he's not, he's not, not a part of any nation or any other people. You know, he's, he's really hacking through like the wild terrain, uh, on the frontier and, in, you know, pursuit of, of, you know, his own passion and also, you know, to sustain his livelihood, but in a way that he's not going to compromise to be a part of a group, you know, living by their own law and, you know, doing it in a way like a lot of cowboys that, I mean, there are different, there are different moral char- characters of cowboys too. You'll see in a number of the movies, but um, mm-hmm. like the ones that win are the ones that have an ethical code that they don't stray from. Right. <laughs> That's what keeps them strong. So it's not that they don't have rules. It's like, but they determine their own rules and they don't bend on those rules. When I think of like the idea of cowboys in that context, I think of like, the good guys and the bad guys in the movie are all cowboys 
And so then, but then the protagonist, the heroic cowboy, the Clint Eastwood character often is like a, like the true path of the cowboy, like doing it right. Yeah. But you hear, you see yeah. all these examples of people, of them doing it wrong and being, being scummy and being, uh... Yeah. And that's, that's always kind of, you know, what weakens them in the end and why they end up like so they live by their own their own rules they live by their own law but that law is their actual sense of what a law ought to be not just what they think it should be or like oh you know it'd be cool as if the law was you just shoot anyone you see like they they're they're trying they're seeking to find like when people say i have a direct relationship with god i don't need a religion you know i don't need a priest to tell me how i should pray i have my own relationship with god like that kind of thing kind of yeah it's it's kind of it's what works for them. Yeah. And what works, you know, it's not just so that it works for them alone, but it's kind of like how, you know, they're going to get the, the, the intended effect. Yeah. yeah. What actually works, not just what will express yeah. my identity as a weirdo down on the street yeah. when I'm walking around. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are that amoral asshole, just shooting everyone willy nilly, like, you know, I mean, you're going to end up with a lot of people hating you yeah. and they'll shoot back. Wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just that creates more problems than it's worth. And it's right. so maybe not necessarily that the cowboy doesn't do that because, you know, they want to save lives, but they're doing that because they don't want to create <laughs> more havoc. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, and the hero is usually someone who's been there and done that. It seems like, it seems to me that that kind of hero is never someone who's like hot out of high school. Yeah. They're usually someone who made all the wrong, you know, did, did all the wrong things when they were in their teen, teens and 20s and 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 uh, lost someone who they cared about and went through a process of mourning and they left it all behind and then something brought them back in and then they come back older and wiser and they have <laughs> more of a moral compass and i you know it's 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 like how they say you know in in the old times they they would say that you have to be 40 years old and married before you study the kabbalah like yeah it's like you have to have a different type of muscle that's already developed yeah uh, that you can even receive that knowledge or wisdom. And, you know, like, like sometimes if you just apply something and you don't understand why you're doing with it, it's not always going to work the same. Um, like, like if you do make it a religion, like it's only going to bear certain results. And I think those are going to be a lot more limited. The reason why you do something will also change the effects of what you're doing, the, in the intent and like where you're at with it, like how much personal power you have and are able to apply those motions with. So, which is different than, yeah, like, you know, somebody who is younger and maybe doesn't have their frontal lobe developed, hasn't, you know, tasted bitterness in life and suffered or experienced some kind of loss right. and they think overcome invincible. certain challenges. Yeah. They, and you, it's you cliche that when a 17-year-old goes through a breakup, they drive 90 miles an hour and often kill someone and drive into a wall. I mean, and I was yeah. doing it. I luckily didn't kill anyone, but I did knock the, I, I knocked the hubcap off a Jaguar. And the guy, yeah. the guy let me off because he just saw that I was a hot-headed kid. And he's like, you yeah. need to not drive angry like that. When you're angry, yeah. stop driving. And I was like, yeah. sorry, sir. He's a very nice man. You know? I was like, yeah, <laughs> and it's like being invincible. Or, or Okay, thinking you're invincible can save your ass in a number of situations. Because I look back to what I was doing when I was younger before my frontal lobe was developed. And I'm glad I did it when I had the balls to do it. Because I would never do that now. Um, but, and, and, and I survived somehow, but I'm glad I did it when, when I, you know, didn't have any fear of doing those me things. Too. So I could yeah. say I've done it. Yeah. It's like, okay, thinking I was invincible got me so far. It worked. Now I know better, but, but now I, I feel like I have 
a certain capability that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in those kinds of situations right. to prove that, you know, it's not necessary where I'm at right now, yeah. but having done it, I feel, you know, it gave me a, a certain reservoir of experience to draw from and it, you get certain tools from that. But like looking back at where, like even being able to like evaluate the progress in my own understanding of the world that like the, the laws or the way I understood the world then was totally skewed. I mean, like the way I thought the world worked was like way off. And like from where I feel it, you know, from how I view the, the world works now, right. like in contrast. And there were a lot of flaws in my thinking. So I'm glad I did it before, like I understood why I was doing it all wrong and got away with it somehow. So it could get you so far, but like ultimately just thinking yeah, if you if you if you think you're invincible yet you you don't actually have real knack or capability and and personal power developed which, you know, takes a, I I think a, a certain exercise of willfulness and being able, you know, to to prove yourself worthy in a number of situations, you know, to really have that kind of trust in yourself. And that's not something that you're born with. I feel that's something you earn in a lifetime and at different points in your lifetime. And that's something that does accrue and accumulate the more you, you hone that. Yeah. But I think so that actually renders more of like a, a, a more sincere type of invincibility, but it's not the same. It's not one that's just arrogance or, or youthful aggression. And, you know, it's not just passion. Wisdom. Yes. Well, thank you very much for talking to me on the Esoterra Nerd podcast tonight. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, hopefully we'll talk to you again on here. Well, yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. I will. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Season Cole, for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast tonight. Thank you to the monks, the Koya song, for the music you're hearing right now. Same as you heard in the beginning. Thank you to a band called Golden Dawn LBX. Thank you, as always, to identical twins Camille and Kennelly for the lovely harp transitions. And thank you to the Esoteric Nerd listening to this podcast. We'll talk to you next time.